0: We're teaching a series, currently teaching a series on spiritual gifts and uh, we're using as text scriptures First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 1 Paul said now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant. The word gifts is in italics which means the translators added it. In the original uh, Greek it says now concerning spirituals. The word spiritual is in the plural. Well you could well understand that that would need a little bit of adding to to help us understand what's being said because uh, we don't have a word that uh, that relates to the, the Greek word spirituals because it means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So he's saying literally the, the message is now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost I would not have you ignorant. Now think about who's inspiring that to be said. That's not Paul writing on his own. These are words that are given by the Holy Ghost so it's the Holy Ghost saying I don't want you to be ignorant about me thank God he doesn't and then he identifies how he manifests himself among the church he gives us a list of nine different ways that the Holy Ghost moves nine different ways that the Holy Ghost works or operates in the church verse 7 he says but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit withal." For to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another faith, the Amplified says special faith, by the same spirit. To another the gifts of healings. In the original both gifts and healings are in the plural. By the same spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discerning of spirits. To another diverse kinds of tongues. Diverse is in italics. So it literally just says kinds of tongues. But you would well understand by just the. The phrase that's uh, in the original that it means different kinds of tongues. to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these worketh. thank God they all work. All these worketh that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man separately as he will. Now, it's interesting to me that Paul, in giving us a list of nine manifestations of the spirit, and these nine manifestations fall into three different groups: One group reveals something: the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge and discerning of spirits reveals something beyond the natural understanding. One group does something to the power gifts, special faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healings. And then one group says something to the vocal gifts or the inspirational gifts, prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And of these nine manifestations, in Paul giving us these nine manifestations, he talks about two of them. Out of the whole list of nine, he talks about two of them. He gives a whole chapter about prophecy in tongues, the vocal gifts. Now, we certainly can't understand or or would be in error to assume that the vocal gifts are the most important ones. So why does he spend his time on those two? Because those two have the greatest potential for being misused. Now, the church in Corinth is in kind of a unique situation. There's good news and bad news about the church at Corinth. The good news is they've got all these manifestations of the Spirit in operation. The bad news is they have no clue how they're supposed to work. Paul said that in chapter 1, verse 7, that they come behind in no good gift. Well, that would have to include the manifestations of the Spirit that he tells them about. Furthermore, because of their lack of understanding of how these things are intended by God to be used, it's bringing confusion. The operation of the Spirit is bringing confusion because of their lack of understanding. They're spending a lot of time in their church services speaking in tongues, and people are coming in from the outside that don't know anything about what's going on, and they're not getting anything. They're not being reached for Jesus. It's having no positive impact upon them, and in fact, the the reputation in town is that this is a crazy bunch of people. It was a great relief to me to find in Scripture that God does not want Pentecostal people to be thought of as crazy. Because most Pentecostal churches that I knew and uh, had experience with growing up were crazy people. And that's kind of the, the, the reputation that Pentecostals have. Those people that speak in tongues, they're nuts. Well, they're only nuts if they operate according to... Uh, they only, uh, they're only nuts if they operate... In ways that are inconsistent with what Paul identified, how they're supposed to be used. So they've got uh, some uh, error, misuse of tongues and prophecy, specifically taking place in their church. And Paul tries to bring some uh, clarity or some guidelines, establishes some guidelines. And I, I think it's important to realize that he sets forth guidelines, not rules. Paul sets forth by the Holy Ghost guidelines and not rules. Now, the reason I say that is because anytime you try to put the Holy Ghost in a box, he's going to blow up your box. If If for no other reason to show you, you can't put him in a box. But the Holy Ghost gives Paul some certain guidelines that he shares with the people about these things, particularly tongues and prophecy, to help bring order to their services. Now, Paul deals with the issue of tongues in its widest scope. And here's what I mean by that. They've got misuse of tongues and prophecy in their public worship, the public services. But Paul really spends very little time talking about tongues in public services. He spends as much time, if not more, talking about tongues in a private setting Or in its private use as he does in his public use. So he speaks of tongues and the instruction that he gives concerning tongues is in its widest possible range. Now all tongues whether public or private are the same in essence. By that I mean they're all given by its utterance given by the Holy Ghost. But they're different in purpose and in use. Now Paul makes some interesting comments about tongues in public versus private use. In chapter 14, in verse 18, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, he goes on in verse 19, yet in the church, talking about in public service. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I, by my voice, might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now let me ask you a question. Some people have taken this And say that Paul is speaking disparagingly of speaking in tongues. Well, if he does, then why is he thanking God that he does speak in tongues? See, you don't thank God for things that you disparage, do you? Now, he's saying that concerning the ministry that God has given him and the public services that he would conduct, the purpose is to teach people. And you can't do that in tongues. So he places a higher value and a higher priority in his own life and his own ministry on the benefit that he receives from speaking in tongues privately than publicly. We might say it this way. Apparently, God doesn't use him in tongues and interpretation very much in his ministry. Yet he still places a very high value on speaking in tongues in a private setting. Now, in talking about tongues and prophecy and vocal gifts, There are two main things that you're going to come across as a believer. You're going to come across people that want to know, first of all, does everybody that is filled with the Holy Ghost have to speak with tongues? Or who is speaking in tongues for? The second thing that you need to know about speaking in tongues is the value of it. Again, those are situations... And that's information that we need to know privately, or is it personally, I should say, not privately, but we need to know personally so that we can help others. For that reason, we've gone through the five different examples or instances where people were filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. Acts chapter 10 tells us that the circumcision that went down to Cornelius's house with Peter were astonished that the Holy Ghost was given upon, given unto them but they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God Acts chapter 19 tells us about Paul at Ephesus how he laid hands on them to be filled with the Spirit and they spoke with tongues and prophesied now Acts chapter 9 tells us Paul's experience where he was visited by Ananias after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus Ananias laid hands on him to receive his sight he was blinded by the glory of the light to shine round about him, so he laid hands on him, and Ananias laid hands on Paul to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now the Bible doesn't tell us in that case that Paul began to speak with other tongues, but we know he did. We know he did by his own testimony. He said, "I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all." Well, to assume that Paul began to speak with tongues at a different time that other people in the New Testament spoke with tongues, meaning when they were filled with the Holy Ghost would be to add or take away from the scripture, wouldn't it? See, it's easy for me to understand that when Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost, that's when he got the same evidence of the infilling as everybody else in the New Testament. Now, in Acts chapter uh, 8, it tells us about Peter and John going down to Samaria after the people got saved. Philip went down there and evangelized them. And it says that Peter and John went down afterwards and laid hands on them to be filled with the Spirit. Now, it doesn't say they spoke with tongues, but it tells us about a certain man that was a former con man, and now he's gotten saved. When he saw that Peter and John laid hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost, he asked if they would sell him that power to do the same thing. Now, a con man is not going to offer money unless there's some kind of evidence that something happened. Now, the language really tells us Peter says. Peter answers him and says, your money perish with you, for your heart is not right for you have neither part nor lot in this matter. The word matter is the Greek word logos it's most often translated throughout the New Testament over a hundred times as the word word, but it's also translated saying it's also translated speech it's also translated utterance so Paul is, or Peter is saying to him, you have no part in this utterance in other words what Simon must have seen that he offered money for. Had to have been speaking with other tongues. Now there's thousands of other people that were filled with the Holy Ghost. In the book of Acts that the Bible doesn't refer to. 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. From Peter preaching. Repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus. And you'll receive the promise of the Spirit. Well, the promise of the Spirit is what they just received when they spoke with other tongues. So we have to assume that the people that repented, the 3,000 people that repented to get saved, were also in it for the baptism of the Holy Ghost as well. But the Bible doesn't tell us anything about them. Acts chapter 3, the Bible tells us about 5,000 people that got saved when the man at the beautiful gate was healed. The lame man was healed. Well, I wonder if Peter and John or the rest of the apostles Emphasize the baptism of the Holy Ghost to them after they got saved. We would have to assume that they did. See, it's one of the things that Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall speak with new tongues. The early church understood that it was a package deal. It wasn't a buffet, pick and choose what you want. It wasn't a matter of salvation and leave the baptism of the Holy Ghost out. Why would you want to leave that out anyway? Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Who in the world in their right mind would come to Jesus and say, well, I want to be saved, but I don't want the power. That wouldn't make sense, would it? So Paul emphasizes by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues because it's the doorway It's the threshold to the power. Brother Hagin tells a story about how, well, he used to tell a story. I'm not sure if he still tells it since he's in heaven. But he used to tell a story about how that uh, one Saturday he was preparing for service. And from about 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 or 8.30 in the morning till about 2.30 in the afternoon, he spent the majority of that time, 90% of that time speaking in other tongues. He said there was something different about it. He, you know, I always speak with tongues, he said. But he said there was something different about it. And he said, I just assumed I was getting ready for the service the next day. And I'm thinking all the time while I'm going about my business, taking care of chores and doing other things I need to do while I'm speaking in other tongues. He said, I'm thinking, boy, tomorrow's service is really going to be a STEM wonder. He said, but later that afternoon, a lady in my church, in his church, he was pastoring at the time. He said a lady brought her sister to him who was mentally insane had been committed to a mental institution. He said, what I found out was that the Holy Ghost was getting me ready for that without even telling me that it was coming ahead. Well, he laid hands on her. He cast the devil out of her. Commanded her to be free. Went back to the same mental institution or asylum. Same doctors that had pronounced her incurable, mentally defective, pronounced or healed and whole. Well, why would speaking with tongues be connected or be important with that? Notice what the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 and 4. Paul said, In verse 2, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, folks, you need to understand something. And this is just basic Christianity 101. The devil fights what he doesn't understand. And one of the things that God put in effect for, this, for the church that Jesus said he would build... And that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Is a supernatural means of power. A supernatural means of communication with God. When you're speaking with other tongues. The devil does not know what you're saying. Now most often we don't either. But one thing that the Bible does instruct us. Moving down to verse 4. He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself. The word edify means to build up. One meaning would be to charge yourself like a battery or empower yourself, to strengthen yourself. Speaking with other tongues is a means of spiritual edification, a means of spiritual empowering, a means of spiritual strengthening. So whenever, every time you're speaking in other tongues, you're bringing spiritual, added spiritual strength to your, to your innermost being. Jesus said, talking about the work of the Holy Ghost, in John chapter 16, he said, He that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, what are those rivers of living water? He goes on to say, This spake he of the Spirit of God, which was not yet given. Those rivers are powerful rivers. It's the flow, outflow of the Holy Ghost, the outflow of the power of God. That's why it's so important you and I to be filled with the spirit and to allow it to be a continuous stream a continuous stream of power a continuous stream of blessing it's not just a one-time thing now there was a my purpose here this morning is to tell a few stories the Lord put it on my heart to, to remind you of some things by telling you some stories so I'm going to tell you some stories we were ministering Beth and I were ministering up in uh, northern Michigan before we started the church. Real neat guy was pastoring the church, old fella. Spunky, full of life. But he came from he came from a uh, Pentecostal holiness background. Now I don't know too much about Penteco, Pentecostal holiness churches, but the guys that he had come from, the group that he had been out of based most everything they did on feelings and experience. So we got into his church. It wasn't a large church. First night of our meeting was maybe 35, 40 people. I'm just ministering. I don't even know what I was teaching on. But after the service, there was a guy that came up to me, middle-aged man, and he said, I want you to lay hands on me so I can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, this pastor was standing there, and so I said, Pastor, is it okay if I minister to this guy? He said, Yeah, sure. I'm all for it. I noticed there was a crowd of people that were still hanging around, probably half the group, 20 people or so. And when he stepped up, it was almost like they were waiting for him. Because when he stepped up, everybody stepped up closer. And I thought it was kind of strange because everybody's circling us, but I didn't know what was going on. I get that a lot. So anyway, I said, well, have you ever been ministered to to receive the Holy Ghost before? And he laughed and the pastor laughed and he said, oh, yeah, lots of times. And I said, well, then it's a matter of one of two things. See, folks, the word of God's true. Jesus said, whoever asked for the Holy Ghost, talking about his children, not the world, but his children, whoever asked for the Holy Ghost, God will give him to you. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Jesus said, you ask as a child of God, God gives you." So that means there's only one of two possibilities. Either it's a lack of faith or a lack of willingness to yield. By that I mean either the individual doesn't believe that God will give them the Holy Ghost or they don't know how to yield to the Holy Ghost when he's given. That's the only two possibilities. That's true for everybody. So I said, so you tell me, do you believe that God will fill you with the Holy Ghost? He said, well, he said, it's like this. Jesus said, and he quoted the scripture that I just did. If you being good fathers know how to give your children good things, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I'm thinking, well, we're on the right track. He's believing the right thing. So I said, then it's a matter of not willing, you not willing to yield, being willing to yield. I said, it has to be. I said, are you willing to yield to the Holy Ghost when he comes upon you? He said, oh, yeah, I am. So I thought, well, all right, let's give this a shot. Let's see where he's really at. Sometimes you, don't, you have to find out where people are before you can help them. So at that point, I needed to know where he was beyond just his confession. So I prayed for him Said a quick prayer Laid hands on him And the Holy Ghost came on this guy I was aware of it He was aware of it And all of a sudden he started shouting Hallelujah, glory to God Hallelujah, hallelujah Screamed it right in my face Scared the bejeebers out of me (laughs) So I jumped a little bit you know and he continues on, and people all around him started screaming, Hallelujah, glory to God, Hallelujah, glory to God. I'm thinking, What in the world are you people doing? I look to my left, and the pastor's screaming, Hallelujah, glory to God, Hallelujah, glory to God. This guy continues on, and there's no way in the world I could have stopped him, so I just let him wear themselves out. <laughs> so after a little bit, they quieted down, and I said, Would you turn in your Bible with me to Acts 2? He did. I said, would you read verse 4? He did. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak. When he got to the word speak, I said, stop. I said, does that word say shout? (laughs) He said, no. I said, keep reading. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I said, are you aware that the Holy Ghost just came on you? He said, oh, yeah. That's why I shouted glory to God. And I said, well, why would you want to do that? I said, now, don't get me wrong. There are times when the Holy Ghost will come upon you to shout. But receiving the baptism of the Spirit is not one of those times. I said, I'm going to pray for you again. And instead, this time, the Holy Ghost is going to come on you again, just like he did before. But instead of shouting, I want you to use your tongue, your lips, your voice, and speak out in other tongues. He said, what's that like? I said, well, everybody has a different experience or experiences in a different way. But you'll have words that will come up from the inside of you that you won't know what they are. Don't think about them. Just go ahead and turn them loose and speak them. Will you do that? He said, well, yeah, okay, if you say so. So I laid hands on him again. Holy Ghost came on him just like as before. This time, instead of shouting, he just began to simply speak out in other tongues. I looked around, and those 20 people that were waiting, watching what was going on, they're all speaking in tongues too. The pastor is amazed because half his church just got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, what was happening is that they were taking the power of God, and they were dissipating it by misusing it. And folks, that's exactly what the church in Corinth is doing. They're taking the power of God, genuine power of God, and they're misusing it through a lack of understanding. There was a lady in uh, the northern part of the U.S. that came to us one night after a service. I don't know why people always want to do this after the service instead of going to the prayer room, but so often that's the case. She came to us. Older lady, she must have been in her late 70s, early 80s, something like that. She came to a sweetest little lady you ever saw in your life. She said, I've been seeking the Holy Ghost for 50 years. Can you help me? I said, well, sure. If you're willing to believe and if you're willing to yield, sure. Talked to her a little bit. She had been saved since she was a young girl, teenage girl. Seeking the Holy Ghost for 50 years. Laid hands on her, explained to her how the Holy Ghost would come upon her and she'd begin to be impressed to say words that she didn't understand, that her mind didn't understand, just let those go and let them out. I have never in my life experienced such a sweet infilling of the Spirit of God for somebody. No excitement, no electrical charge to it, she just simply began to speak out in other tongues. And then she said this. Bless her heart. She said this. She said. I have not grieved the Holy Ghost. I said what do you mean by that? She said well. She said I've known the Holy Ghost. All, nearly all my life. She said I know him. I know the love of God that he brings to us. And I know that it's the same love of God. The same Holy Ghost that gave me the love of God, that's now given me this language in other tongues. I thought, man, I need this lady to teach me. See, the power is there for a purpose. God never does anything by accident, and he doesn't waste his power. It's up to us to determine what the power is for. And that's what Paul said in the church at Corinth. It's up to you and me. To determine what the power is for. The power is always there. The Holy Ghost always does his job. But it's up to us to use the power. It's up to us to determine what the power is beneficial to do or to accomplish. And then to work in concert with God's plan and purpose. So what is Paul saying to these people? He's telling them speak with other tongues. But find out what God's will for the power is for. See, it's not always a matter of what you can do. It's a matter of what you should do. Now, another interesting thing, another interesting fact that we need to be aware of is that Paul sandwiches between chapter 12 and chapter 14 a chapter on the love of God. Now, look with me to chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Notice what Paul says. First thing he starts off with is the church occurrence issue, and that's the misuse of tongues. He starts off in verse 1. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, speaking with other tongues must be speaking angelic tongues or heavenly tongues, heavenly languages. I didn't know angels had tongues, did you? I didn't know they had their own languages. But if the Holy Ghost is inspiring Paul to say these words, to tell us these things, then then they must. So he said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I think the translators did us a disservice here by not translating this word agape, which refers to the love of God as the word love. So he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I have not love, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying without love, speaking with tongues, which is the threshold to the power of God, is like beating on a trash can lid with a spoon. Well, that's not what God intended it to be, is it? He didn't intend it to be an annoying sound. He didn't intend for it to be a worthless endeavor. He intended for it to be purposeful, did he not? Well, notice what makes it purposeful. The characteristic of love. He goes further and says it's not just this way with speaking with tongues. It's the same way with all the manifestations of the Spirit. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Notice the connection he's making between character and power. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or love, it profits me nothing. Notice what he said. He said, I could become a martyr for the name of Jesus. But if I don't have love, I haven't produced anything worthwhile. Now, what does it mean? We already know that the the church of Corinth has got all the manifestations of the spirit in operation. We already know. From chapter 11. That love is an issue for these folks. When they come together for the Lord's Supper. They're not concerned about everybody. Some are eating and drinking and getting drunk. And on the wine that they're using. And that kind of thing. They don't recognize it as symbolic or important. An important ritual in the body of Christ. They're just out for themselves. And treating this. As just another meal. And selfishly indulging themselves. So we know that love is an issue for them. We know that care for other people is not their number one priority. Which is probably part of the reason, a big reason, why they have such misuse of these things. They're not yielding to the love of God and what's best for everybody. They're just doing what they want to do for themselves. So we know that the lack of love, if we could say it this way, we know that the lack of love in the church does not keep the Holy Ghost from moving. Which proves to us that the operation of the Holy Ghost or a manifestation of the Spirit is not evidence or proof of the character and the nature of God at work in the people. It's evidence of God's work, but it's not evidence of God in them. In the fruit of the spirit. So what is he saying? He's saying the power of God is enhanced. When the character of God is attached. And folks if you look at the, the misuse. In the modern day church of. Tongues and prophecy and things like that. Manifestation of the spirit. You'll find out that's the problem. You'll find out people. Without the character. Of God exhibited and, and evidenced in their life. Are operating in supernatural things. And it causes confusion. Because when it, someone manifests the Holy Ghost. Or the Holy Ghost manifests through them. And you know that their lives are not. What the Bible says that they should be. Then questions arise. Why would God move. In that way. Or through that person. Well thank God he doesn't have to wait. till everybody gets perfect to use them. Because if that's the case, he wouldn't have anybody to use at all. But you could well understand that if somebody's life matches up, and I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit in their life, matches up with what the Bible says it should be, then it makes it a whole lot easier to receive whatever God is saying or doing. Isn't that true? Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. So one of the values, one of the benefits of speaking in other tongues is that it builds you up in faith and spiritual strength for the purpose, one purpose at least, for the purpose of keeping yourself in the love of God. See, if we're aware that the Holy Ghost is within us, and that's what speaking with tongues will do, make you constantly aware of the presence of the Holy Ghost within, you become aware that the Holy Ghost is with you and walking in you and accompanying you anywhere and everywhere you go, It'll change the way you live. I've got some personal experience with this. I, uh, I used to be really, really high-tempered. And there was... Uh, well, in the early years of my marriage with Beth, I didn't know how to handle when she'd make me mad. And that was almost a daily occurrence. Well, I'd fly off the handle and hit things. Things, not people. And one day, she made me mad. And I turned around and I hit hit a door with my fist, put my hand through the door. But there was a problem. It was a solid door. So I broke my hand. Had to sit down on the floor pretty quick, keep from passing out. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but it really, really diminishes your credibility and being mad when you have to sit down to keep from fainting. <laughs> so after a few minutes, we realized this is a problem. I knew instantly. took Beth a little longer to catch on. So she drove me down to the hospital. We were living in Tulsa, and the City of Faith was still in operation then. So we go into the City of Faith, and you know how it works at a hospital. You sit in the waiting room long enough to where you're really glad when they see you I'm in shock I'm in pain and so they bring doctor in intern whatever it was they knew that it wasn't a critical situation so it wasn't top doctors or anything like that so anyway I'm sitting there just wanting somebody to fix my hand that's all I want and they said, uh, they took the chart, the things that you fill out going in, you know, and they said, Mike Webb, did you go to Rama? I said, yeah. Did you graduate from Rama? Yeah. Yeah, I did. She said, didn't you teach at healing school last week? I said, yeah. She said, well, I went to healing school last week, and I thought that was you. I said, yeah, that was me. Thanks for noticing. (laughs) Found out she was, come to find out she was a Rayma Grand, real involved at Rayma. Went to healing school when she could in the afternoons and things like that. Just happened to be there last week when I taught. And I'm sitting there. She left the room. She fixed me up and then left the room for a little bit. And I feel about as low as you can possibly feel. Because not only have I showed myself to be an absolute idiot for hitting the door and breaking my hand, but I've shamed myself as a minister of the gospel. Haven't done any good for the name of Raymond either. To have somebody like me that doesn't have a handle on my own issues, trying to teach other people how to follow God. Well, I made a determination that day, not just in that room at that moment, but talked to the Lord about it afterwards. They put me in a cast and fixed me up best they could. I told the Lord, that'll never happen again. I will never, ever lose my temper again like that if for no other reason than to make sure that I don't bring reproach on him. Now, I'd love to tell you that that was the end of my anger. But it wasn't. And I knew it wouldn't be. So I knew the thing that I was going to have to change was me. I knew the, way, the thing I was going to have to change is the way that I responded when I got angry. See, Paul wrote to the church and he said, Be angry and sin not. He didn't say, Don't be angry. He said, don't sin when you are angry. So that was my issue. That's what I committed to the Lord. Not that I would never get angry again. I don't always control that. Nobody does. But what you do with your anger is well within your control. So I determined, knowing that the Bible says in Jude 20, "But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Ghost, verse 21, goes on to say, keep yourself in the love of God. I knew those were attached, connected. So I determined that from that point forward, speaking in tongues was going to be an exercise that I endeavored for the purpose of changing my anger issues. And it worked. See, when people come to me and say, I have anger issues, I know immediately how to fix that. you've got to come to the point where you decide you're not going to lose your temper anymore and then you've got to w- be willing to add something to your life that wasn't there before and speaking with tongues is the best thing you can add I went back to Ramah went back to Tulsa to a meeting there um, it's been about three years ago now it was a winter Bible seminar and, I, and there was a person that came up to me young girl a little bit younger than me now she came up to me and she said she tapped me on the shoulder and she said are you Mike Webb I said yes ma'am she said do you remember me I said i'm sorry i don't can you tell me who you are she said i'm the nurse that fixed your hand <laughs> i started laughing and I said, I'm so glad to see you here. I'm so glad I didn't run you off from God. <laughs> she laughed, too. I said, I want to tell you something. I never again hit anything. That day had a real significant impact on me. She said, I wondered about that. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about you during the years and wondered. I wonder if he's still hitting stuff. <laughs> Hope speaking with other tongues was a big, big, big peace. Of changing that let me tell you one last story Brother Hagen accepted a meeting in Minnesota and it was a real small meeting it wasn't his own meeting and so he took me up there with him just to have somebody to go with took a few books you know for a book table type thing but it was a real private setting I, I, he told me later that he, he just accepted the invitation because a friend of his and the ministry was hosting the meeting and he really didn't pray about the meeting. He just said yes to help his friend out. And uh, so we got in this meeting. It wasn't a real big place. But there were some pretty big name people there. First night in the meeting, there was... Um, well, how do I say it? I want to say this in the right way, but can com- communicate what I'm trying to get across... There was a lot of manifestations of the spirit in operation at this meeting. But it had a real weird feel to it. So after the meeting was over, there was a little speaker's room. Brother Hagin was uh, the first one back there. And um, so he and I were in the room by ourselves. So I said, Dad, when we get back to Tulsa, I've got some questions for you about this meeting. And without hesitation, he said, I'm not answering any questions about this meeting now or in Tulsa. Well, that told me half of what I needed to know. But I I got quiet and, and I told him that. I said, well, that tells me a little bit anyway. And then I said, now, wait a minute. I said, if I'm not supposed to learn from you, where am I supposed to learn? He kind of dropped his head a little bit and realized... I realized that I'd put him in a tough spot. So I said this. I said, all right, how about I tell you what I think was going on and you just tell me if I'm right or not. He said, all right, I'll do that. So I said, Brother So-and-so, well-known minister, Brother So-and-so spoke with other tongues by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Now, there was a, a lesser known, but still... Fairly well known minister, a lady that interpreted what he said in tongues. Now, he spoke a pretty short time in tongues and she spoke a long time in the interpretation, which is not, which doesn't mean anything in and of itself. It's interpretation of tongues, not translation of tongues. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything of itself. But here's what I told Brother Hagin I said, It seemed to me that when so and so interpreted, It wasn't of the spirit of God. That she was preaching a sermon. A little sermonette. On something that seemed to be stuck in her craw. But about two-thirds of the way into what she said. She hit something. And everything changed. And that was the interpretation of the tongue. And he said. He breathed a sigh of relief. I'm sure in my spiritually immature condition. He wasn't sure what he was going to hear me say and how I might criticize the people involved. But he kind of breathed a sigh of relief and and relaxed a little bit when he saw that I wasn't trying to be critical. I was just trying to figure out what was going on. So he said, yeah, that was exactly it. He said, about two-thirds of the way in, she hit the interpretation. I said, what do you do with that? He said, well, there's nothing you can do with it he said it's left for the individual to determine by the spirit of god within them what was god and what was not now let me ask you a question do you realize the level of spiritual maturity that god expects out of each one of his children to be able to understand those things See, I think in one regard we've left spiritual maturity up to the experts whoever those might be. We've relegated spiritual maturity only to those that might be used of God in a public ministry or in a fivefold setting. Where did we ever get that idea? Where did we gain some kind of idea certainly not right but where did we get some kind of idea that we as individuals are not supposed to mature to our fullest potential and extent where did we get the idea that only those that are called to a pulpit ministry or a fivefold ministry should be able to interpret or know what the purpose of the moving of God is in any setting see you should know that yourself now I realize what I'm saying. I hope you do. I realize that I'm saying that God sets a much higher bar than we set for ourselves. I realize that I'm saying, and I hope you realize this, that God sets a much higher standard as a part of the family of God, just as a part of being his family than we accept for ourselves. And I wonder, this is just me, I wonder if that has anything to do with the moving of the Holy Ghost in our day as being different than what we see in the book of Acts. See, folks, they didn't even have a book to read. They had to depend on the Holy Ghost for every day's activities. They had to depend on the Holy Ghost to tell them what the next step was. They didn't have a daily devotional that they could go to and say, Okay, I've done my thing. They're living every day by the direction of the Spirit of God. There had to have been a much greater dependence on the Holy Ghost in their day than we place on him in ours. Had to be. And again, this is just me. I can't prove it scripturally. I'm not sure you can disprove it, but this is just me. I wonder if that had anything to do with the greater move of the Holy Ghost that the early church had than we seem to have today. It's a thought, huh? He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He builds himself up. He strengthens himself. He strengthens himself. empowers himself thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost folks I'm saying these things because it's important in these last days critical in my view that we become more dependent on the Holy Ghost we need to get away from what we think things are supposed to be and trust him to show us When we first started the church, we weren't from here. We didn't know anybody here. I didn't know where to get my hair cut. I mean, simple things. About 10 years later, I'm talking to the Lord one day and I said, Lord, it seemed like in the early days you were telling me things to do. Just simple things, insignificant things in a lot of respects. Things that you don't tell me now. And he said this to me. He said, you depended on me more then. You didn't know where to go to get this done. Or to get that done. You were praying about everything. Now you've got it figured out through experience. I thought, wow. So that's how it is, huh? We take away take ourselves away from the leading of the Holy Ghost oftentimes just by becoming accustomed to doing things a certain way. I think we need to go back to how it used to be. I want to challenge you to put a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit than you've ever done before. Don't just assume you know how to do things. Don't just assume the way you normally do them is the way they're supposed to be done. Depend on him. Amen. Let's all stand together. Father we thank you. That you said you would never turn away anyone. Jesus you said. That of a certainty. Just like we as parents know how to give good gifts to our children. Our heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to everyone that asks. We thank you for filling these two young men. We thank you for empowering them. We thank you, Father, for giving them utterance by the Holy Ghost in other tongues. We thank you most of all that their lives will never be the same from this day forward. In Jesus' precious name. Can you agree with that? Amen. Amen. Well, for some of you, you've got a month's worth of speaking in tongues already out of the way this morning. (laughs) I hope that's a joke. I really hope that's not true. The greater one lives in you. Give him place. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. You're dismissed.